sound a real voice. Uh, this box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into sound. Shall we play again? Oh. <laughs> I think I missed them. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Love to. How about global thermonuclear war? Wouldn't you prefer a good game, Marshes? <laughs> Later. Let's play global thermonuclear war. Fine. <laughs> All right. Hello, and welcome to Carnival Personnel Sideshow. Uh, I'm Jacques. I am Biff. And today we have, um, I'm really excited about this. Um, this is the sideshow or the episode of Carnival Personnel that my kids might be able to listen to from start to finish and be excited about it. Uh, we have our good friend Besh on today, who is a video game programmer. And I'll, I'll throw it out there right away. When my 10-year-old found out what he did for a living and, and quote-unquote, got to meet him, he had the same look in his eye that I did when I was 10, and I got to meet Brad Park after a Bruins game. So, um, Whoa, whoa. Who's Brad Park? Douglas Bradford Park was born in— No, uh, nobody cares. <laughs> hey, number two behind number four. Anyways, so— The only uh, guy that cares is on the podcast. I know you love him, Biff. But with with all that said, uh, welcome and uh, and let's dive right in. So, Bash. Okay. Uh, let's see. First of all, uh, how did you you fall into this world uh, of programming? Was it something that you knew at a young age? You you were playing games and you wanted to make games, or how did this all come about? Um. Primarily playing games and wanting to make them after that, for sure. That that was definitely it. Um, we had, when I was a kid, we had Doom on, like, this really terrible IBM computer. And it came with, like, this massive book that was, like, how to code your own levels. And I just sat with that for days and days and days. And it, it, just, it just sprung from there, pretty much, after that, yeah. And, you know, we... We had some consoles. We had like the NES and the Super Nintendo, but I really focused on the computer because that's where I could make stuff primarily. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, can I can we step back just a little bit, Besh, and kind of go yeah. back to the really back to the point that Jock was making because you know programming games is essentially that's that's like a monster field, right? I mean, there's yeah, so, there's a lot going so, on. Maybe you could tell us tell us a little bit more specific about like you know you know what kind of games you program or, you know, yeah. how, you know, what you do in that, in that sense, kind of set the stage. Yeah, definitely. So um, early on when I was making, well, well, first I was just like coding doom levels or whatever. Right. Um, and, but you start to get into the games. This has so many different facets behind it. Cause it's not just programming. It's like art and sound and everything's sort of like mishmashed all involved. Um, so after a bit afterwards, when I was growing up more, I started making like flash games on like some terrible website I had as a child. Um, I, it's probably gone now. Um, but you know, I would just, I, first I would try to just make stuff that I already liked. Like if I played like Mario or something, I'd try to make something similar to that. Cause it's kind of what you do as a kid, you know, you mimic what other things you do. And then you started to try to like mix them, like mix and match. Like, oh, I really like this about that. Let's put it with this, you know, put things together. Um, so it, it definitely, it starts to teach you a lot of different things though. Cause I mean, I didn't have like a 
like I do today, like artists and stuff like that. It's, it was just myself. So, um, you know, if I wanted to draw a new character, I, I had to do it myself pretty much. And now when you started, okay. did you have like older siblings or friends who kind of got you in it? Like, how did you one day decide, I want to stop playing games and make games? And, and were you in an environment that supported that? Um, I wouldn't say any of my siblings had any interest in it at all. It was pretty much just myself. Um, I did play, grow up playing video games with all my siblings. I, I'm a middle child of five kids, so there's plenty of people to play games with. But um, I was the only one who was primarily interested in creating them. Um, and I'm not really sure how I really got that interest. I think it was just I was really sucked and involved in like the world and everything whenever I played it. I wanted to be a part of like how that was done. And most certainly like the where the home, I, which I grew up in my, my father, I mean, we had a computer where at a time when not everyone had a computer in their house, you know, um, the internet was just kind was there, but like barely anything was worthwhile on there. Um, and we had those things. So it was definitely uh, a good environment for myself. So, Cause you know, I was first for a while I was learning from books, but eventually I was able to learn from online. Um, and I think that the, the vast majority of material on the internet, anyone can learn anything these days, you know, um, wherever they want, whenever they want, and video games especially. Uh, and I think that's why you have like so many young developers these days in software and, and video games itself. Now, did you have any formal training or is this all just self-taught over the years? So I would say that the vast majority of my knowledge is self-taught. I did go to school eventually for it. Um, I learned practically nothing. Uh, um, it was, it was, there wasn't much, like I, I learned all the technicalities and terminology and all that type of stuff for, you know, industry and things like that. Um, but in terms of like, that's in terms of like software development, but then video game development is a completely different thing. Like software development is just a small piece of that whole chunk. You know, when it comes to things like game design, like, why are certain games fun? Like, why is this game fun versus this game being like dog shit or whatever, right? You know, like the difference is because, you know, there's there's people who took the time to like meticulously put things together. And that is something that takes a lot more skill and like knowledge in my opinion than it comes to the programming. Because there's a lot of people who know how to program. Not a lot of people can make a fun game. It's funny, Biff and I have a very, very good friend who, and, and I didn't know he had a programming background. He's he's crazy smart, crazy goofy. Um, and I remember there was one weekend he went he went to a great college and got a degree in mechanical engineering, I believe, at like RPI. One day I hadn't heard from him. Like we normally would like hang out on a Saturday. I couldn't get a hold of him. Couldn't get a hold of him on Sunday. Monday, he finally called and said, hey, sorry I didn't get back to you. There was a game from childhood that he couldn't find anywhere, so he programmed it. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, 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 he sa and, and he said, he's like, yeah, no. And I'm like, wait, you're a programmer? He, he all self-taught, and this is when the dot-com boom happened. And oh, yeah. upon graduating, yeah. he never used his mechanical engineering degree. He went straight, you know, at the into the dot-com world. I think it was like, do you remember what he worked for? It was like PetSmart or something like that? Or not? One of those guys, yeah. 
But but so with you, I mean, so you're you're starting to develop games. When you say younger, are you talking like you know, junior high? You're talking early high school. When did you sit down and say, I like Mario. I like this other game. Let me see if I can merge them together and make a game that I like. Uh I probably started like in any serious faction around like thirteen, um, but I was like making like you know diddling around on the computer trying to code whatever, probably around when I was like ten or something like that. Um, but you know not in any like real fashion until I was like thirteen or so. So all through middle school and then all through high school I was doing it, um, and then towards the end of high school I was for for a while I didn't want to do it as like a job because I was like this isn't a real job. Like I kept, I had this idea in my head that video games wasn't a real job or that it would be a pointless endeavor that I would never be able to get a job in that. And then one day I decided like, you know, I enjoy it too much I to keep away from it. I can't keep away from it. So I have to do it. So I sat down and that's what I put my full focus in when I was around probably like 18, 19. Um, and it's just been what I've pretty much been doing ever since, you know, I've done other things here and there, but this has been like my main focus for, like as a career primarily. So you're 15, 16 years old and you're spending your nights and weekends doing that. Are your parents telling you, you know, get outside and play? Did you play any sports that you do or anything? Or was this your life? And were your parents cool with that? Were your teachers cool with that? Or were you the kind of, oh, what the hell is that kid up to now? Why is he always staring at a computer screen? Well, it's kind of, so my dad did, my mom doesn't really understand, didn't really understand much anything about computers and she hates video games. She wanted to keep us away from them. She's like, oh, it'll rot your brain and all this type of stuff. So any video games that we had as kids, we had to buy them ourselves because our mom wasn't going to get us anything. So we had to get them ourselves and we did it all despite what she wanted. My dad, he saw that I was programming and he always wished that he went into software in college instead of what he went into petroleum engineering he said like, like he knew it was going to be the future but he didn't end up doing it so he was more than okay with me spending all my time with that my friends who I hung out with they didn't even know I was doing any of this like I would I was just doing it on my own time and I never shared it with them for whatever reason um, it was always something I just sort of did privately uh, you know my brothers and them they, they knew but other than that um, no one really outside of my family really knew that I, I would spend my time doing this and I would still hang out with friends and stuff didn't play any sports because you know I mean I'm playing video games no way we're doing that <laughs> uh, so we fit the stereotype pretty well but other than that um, it would probably be it would be what I spend most of my free time on if I wasn't you know doing my homework or seeing friends I would be doing this that pretty much all the time and up into the night no matter what and did you, what was the process to applying for college? I assume you majored in programming or did you major in something else and minor in programming to have a fallback? What was your, what was your process of getting into college and in college, you know, was your, was your time split between majors or something, or was it just strictly focused on programming? Um, well, I have, I went and applied for a bachelor's in software engineering and a associates for in comp side pretty much and that was kind of like my main thing because there's degrees for game development but you're really putting yourself in a small peg when with that when it comes to a job if you're doing that whereas like software engineering i could do anything i could do a whole lot of stuff with this but i could also make games so this was my 
my thinking. And for a while, like I still had it in my head that I shouldn't go into games. Like I'll make games on the side and I'll get a job doing whatever. Right. Um, so I was doing like psychology or something. I have like half a psych degree, completely abandoned. It, it was a complete waste of my time. Uh, went full in on the, on the software and everything like that. And um, pretty much most, most of my college time was like class, develop game, class, develop game, nothing in between, no time for, you know, relationships, anything like that. This is what I was going to be doing. Um, you know, it, it really is like very, very time consuming, but it, you kind of get it like, like a bug where you have to really, really focus it on it and you get really addicted to it at some point for sure. And Biff, I mean, yeah. how did you get into computer sciences? Is well, it, yeah. So my, I think my, path is completely different i'm not really a computer scientist but um i i am in the it sector and i do very limited coding but it's really on a needs basis and i really don't provide at least not anymore any kind of a a coded solution um uh, but i guess I, I do want to kind of turn it back to you a little bit because so the thing with gaming is it's very different from a lot of the traditional uh programming because traditional programming actually has very set specific goals around it and yes and so I want you to kind of maybe, can you kind of talk us through some of the art aspect of it? Because gaming yeah. has an art aspect of it that isn't really part of the traditional and, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to, it, it's kind of funny because uh, whenever I get like new people working with me and stuff who just started out with like game development, I, I kind of explain to them, I was like, this job is pretty much going to ruin some video games for you because you're going to kind of see behind the curtain and see that, you know, when you play games, everything's sort of set up as like a facade. You know, it's kind of like a play and you look behind and you see everything's made out of cardboard. You know, uh, when you see how everything is made, it kind of like demystifies it a little. Um, but th that's kind of like, it's kind of cool seeing that at the same time for most people. When it comes to the art end, the art and the programming really go hand in hand. Um, the, you know, there's still like data structures and stuff like that that you would do in other software development. They still used in video games, but now we're really focusing in with the art. Like, and it could be as so simple as like, if you're working with people who are doing like the interface, like with anything on the screen showing like your health or your points or whatever, how does that look? How does it animate? Um, communicating between the artist and the programmer, or often it'd be the same person most of the time. This is a whole field just for, just for doing that as a programmer. Uh, making it so that the experience of the player is is very encouraging. It's what we call game feel. Um, right. It's like that feeling you get when you see like, you know, if like you hit an enemy and a big thing flashes up on the screen, you know, it gives you like that this rush feeling. Uh, figuring out how that works is, is very hard because a lot of game design is actually based around human psychology. Like, what do people find enjoyable? This is, this is kind of very important. Like you see a lot of games like... Uh, games where you can collect items people like to store them and like their inventory or whatever and they'll just hoard like tons and tons of things and you kind of ask yourself like why do people do this when they play these games even when it's not necessary they do it it's because humans have a natural urge to yep. gather things and store them just just and they do it in these virtual environments as well so these kind of things we can toy with them as as developers and designers to like make it so that it's more rewarding when you play essentially right so, yeah, so, and I think, no, no, I was saying that's a great point in terms of, I think, so there is that, um, there are so many games where you look at it, like visually, they look great. And I think, and so maybe it's the same as uh, like movies that are fulfilling versus not fulfilling, right? You could have hmm. movies with great visuals, 
but unless unless you kind of catch you know the participants you know you know whatever it be hard or psyche or whatever you want to call it right there's there's something that has to capture the audience and i think in Absolutely. that sense um i think there's the the challenge there and i guess you know what is uh do you have a kind of an approach in terms of how do you approach the idea of you know you know how how am i going to make the audience really enjoy even if it's just one component of a game you know even if right. it's not the game as a whole or what's your approach on that well it kind of depends on what kind of game we're making right but it, in terms of like enjoyment you kind of have to go off of yourself a lot of the time too it's like well what do i enjoy um because chances are if you like it somebody else is going to like it too um even if it's a small portion if you're a weirdo like me <laughs> so some stuff i like people don't like at all <laughs> but it, it, it kind of depends um you know when, when you're designing a game and you have like overall goal um some people make games these days like games are such a wide variety of things as an art form yeah now you have like art games which are like avant-garde like almost like film type story experiences and you know that's like clearly just trying to get a story across some games have nothing to do with the story and you don't care about it it's just fun to just engage in it um so it kind of has to do with whatever what kind of game we're making and we're going to lean heavily into whatever the most enjoyable aspect of that game is you know if it's a puzzle game, how can we make each puzzle very interesting? If it's, you know, a game with like fighting, how can we make the fighting feel real or really involved, you know? And from an art standpoint, you know, the art styles are kind of like all over the place these days. Cause you, you know, now these days you could still have new games that are made with like pixel art because it's like harping back. Um, whereas it's kind of funny compared to movies because you know, not many people want to go and make another black and white movie. Some people do it, but you're not going to have this wide appeal. Whereas in video games, you make a pixel art game, it could sell out. There'd be tons and tons of people buying it. They still are still into it. So there's different art styles from realism to like more cartoony looking to very low resolution, like all across the board. So there's a lot of options that you have to kind of decide and win with depending on what you're doing. You know, it's funny. I want to take a step back because when I was asking you about college, if you went in as a programmer, had different majors, and you said you were doing psych for a while, and you're like, yeah, that was completely useless. And then a few minutes later, you're like, well, yeah, we get yeah. into the psychology of this. And I'm like, yeah. Um, no, it's funny. You also said, like, some people find other things interesting and what you like. And it's it's funny because there's a couple examples I can think of recently. A few years ago, my oldest kid got into Fallout. I forget what it was. The one that was set um in boston in like the oh, 50s Fallout 4. and and yeah and he loved it and one and one of our friends on the podcast who's a huge gamer our friend chris lived for the game just loved it i had a lot of fun and then it got to the point where now you have to build houses for these people now you have to yeah, build a garden yeah. and i'm like i'm out and then another friend mm -hmm. of mine a couple years ago like red dawn redemption was huge and my friend's wife favorite part of the game is that you can make the guy shave like like you can actually yeah and and in real life i fucking hate shaving why am i gonna <laughs> spend an hour making this cowboy shave so it is funny to kind of figure out when you were saying that like what do i like but then i gotta think of what other people like and that's where the collaboration comes in absolutely yeah and it, it kind of depends so like it, it's funny you bring up fall i'm, I'm a very big fall fan and that is the aspect that i hated about fall four as a player because that was the only one that had like the, the house building and stuff like that and 
it, this is the big thing with like triple a games these days which is like the big big budget well, games well, pretend, right? pretend an old guy like me doesn't know what what are the terms because if it's triple a i equate that to baseball there's single a double a triple a and then the pros or in music so, it's the same kind of thing so in the world of games you pretty much have like small studios you have like indie studios and then you have triple a developers these are like uh, Nintendo, Sony, Xbox, Naughty Dog, like people like Bethesda, like these big, big, big companies. Um, and they're the ones they, they spend billions and billions of dollars on one game. Um, so what ends up happening these days in AAA titles, the big titles, such as Fallout, is that they are investing so much money into this game that they're like, we need to make sure this appeals to a lot of people. Otherwise, we're not going to make anything in return. So when they add like the house building and stuff to Fallout 4, because Fallout used to be a bit of a smaller series before, um, they're doing it because they're like, okay, someone out there likes this. But to me, it just feels like you're putting a half-assed city builder in a, uh, a shooting RPG. <laughs> like, like you shouldn't be, you should be focusing on what's good. Don't focus on making something else that's half-assed. Um, and they'll do that. And that's kind of like the big trend nowadays with like the bigger games is that they'll try to shove everything in one game because this way it's like you can't fail right but what and you end up doing is like you have a lot of things done not that great and just a whole lot of that instead of one thing done really really well so these days the indie games they really shine um because while they're smaller they do one thing very very good so that's kind of like for me anyways that's what i would prefer but it seems like younger generations these days um because I, I do make a lot of games for kids. They like a lot of games that I think are terrible. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like trying to find, like, can they still like things that I grew up that I liked, you know? Uh, is, are these things universally, like, likable? Or is it just because I was there and I liked it back then because, you know, I was a kid growing up then and that was the game that was there to play, you know? I, it's kind of like liking movies from the 80s if you grew up in the 80s and some people grow, today are like, oh, I don't like those movies. They're too old for me or something like that, you know? Well, I think there's definitely that's a that's a great point, right? It's like you you know what it what the audience is also is there's an evolving audience also because their base point in terms of entertainment is vastly different from yours and vastly different from Jacques and I who are you know much you know yeah. like us our start you know our starting point is you know we were the ones that saw that Star Wars in the theaters the first yeah you know, exactly that yeah green screen technology first came to be versus my son who's had all of the advanced CGI, you know, the moment he's born, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, uh, you know, so that, that's definitely a challenge, but um, that, that is, a, that's so when you make stuff for kids, I mean, is that, is that like the, you know, do you feel like you're like the, the fast food chains trying to, you know, you know, how do I, how do we cater to oh, the kids? Yeah, what yeah. is, what it, is, you know? It really is like that. It really is like that. It's like, how can we like, how can we like, it's, it, it's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty young. But when we're sitting around talking this and I'm ta like trying to figure out what they like, they talk, they, they talk about what stuff I like, like I'm an old man or something like that. And I'm like, like, geez, I'm not old. Like, <laughs> but they, they did grow up with all these big, like big things already. Right. You know, to me, when, you know, when 3d stuff was coming out, I was impressed by it as a child, but that's not impressive anymore. So it's like, what is the wow factor anymore like that? Right. And it, it's pretty much is only going to come down to the design. Yep. And there are certain things that like, you know, from a design standpoint that appeal more to children than it does to adults. 
And there's also like that middle ground, which is kind of where I tend to try to get things. Because um, I do have older players as well, because I want both. But um, when it comes to kids, there's like very, very simplistic and methods of like getting them interested, keeping them like, you know, hooked on and all that type right. of stuff. Uh, it it kind of depends on what, what you're going for with each time with each one. But then you also have things where, you know, little kids, we'll say like, you know, eight to 12 years old or something like that. They like stuff that older players like because it's cool to like things that older kids like right so it's yep. you kind of can get you can kind of get both with that too yeah. a lot of the time yeah i remember yeah, fascinating uh, like uh, the only games i've really gotten into is the batman series the four batman series well the three arkham and the the kind of yeah. fourth one and then resident evil that's really my jam and it's funny because i think he was like six or seven and the oldest one was like maybe nine or ten when resident evil seven came out and i first boss fight was probably the second hardest of the game and i just couldn't get through it i remember his the older one got like really scared playing it and here comes our little guy the the one that you've met you know ash a few times and he took him like two tries he got through i'm like how are you not scared <laughs> shitless of this and then when he had his birthday you know we got one of those photo cakes and it's a picture of that bot and it's a possessed demon but uh but no it's it's funny how like you said that oh his dad likes this game his brother likes this game so he was way too young and i'm a bad person so i let him play i want to take a step back so you're in college how did you transition how did you get your first job like how did you go from i like making games to hey i'm making games for a living um, well, my first like job job was in um, graphic design, and, and I don't have like any graphic design background aside from working in the field. I, don't ask me how I got that job. I really don't know how I did. Um, but essentially, because I was doing art all the time for games, I was already doing graphic design because I already had a sense of what looked good on the screen, what was eye-catching, you know, where everything should be design-wise in terms of that. So I had gotten a job doing graphic design for a while um, for, you know, things like advertisements and stuff like that for this, for the place that I was working at. Um, and I had a big portfolio to give to them. I think it's the only reason I got the job was because I had this very big portfolio, but it was all game stuff. So I like quickly like put some stuff together, like I'll design some ads and I'll shove them in there and they'll think that I've been doing this forever. And it, it worked. Um, so it definitely it definitely helped me in, in that regard. And in terms of video games, uh, I started developing for stuff online, um, primarily for on the Roblox platform. And from that, I got into their developments developers program. Um, so like as an official developer on, on like the site and whatnot, and it's kind of been going from there, like, cause that site kind of works sort of like um, similar to YouTube. Like you put your game up and if, if a lot of people are playing, you get like AdSense and like mm. other things, like any microtransactions that might go into it or what have you, you get all that in, in return. And that's kind of like the main way I got into that. And, but you have a quote unquote day job now working for just one company. Yes, no? Uh, primarily still this. Okay, so, so, yeah. so, so are you, is it safe to say kind of if you're like your own boss? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And do you like that? Oh, of course. Who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, well, I, well, uh, okay. I will say, I will say it, it, it does get difficult at sometimes because like, you know, you have to build your own structure, right? You know, within your work-life balance, which is pretty much non-existent a lot of the time when you're doing stuff like this. 
And the other thing is too, uh, you know, being in charge of other people or with other people, it's kind of gets a little, little difficult at times. You know, I, I can have days where I'm like, I feel like crap, I'm not going to do anything today, but I have to make it up and I have to make sure that I make it up. No one's going to tell me, Hey, you're going to be fired over. It's like, no, you have to do it or else you're, you can't fire yourself. You're pretty much just destitute if you don't, you know, if you don't do it. No, I mean, it, it's a balanced thing. My, my profession is the same thing. I haven't punched a clock with anybody in nearly 20 years, which I, I love, absolutely love. But there are some times where it's like, hey, nothing's really going on and it'd be nice to have that mm-hmm. security. So it, it, it's, it's great if you, can, if you can operate, if you can motivate yourself. Would you, have you ever worked for one of these, you know, AAA companies and would you? Personally, I wouldn't want to. Um, I know I have friends who do. Um, the there's several reasons why I wouldn't want to outside of just like what I enjoy doing now. Um, in terms of like game development, working for a triple A company is very, very intense. Um, and there's a lot of, it's funny cause there's a lot of stuff in the new, like in like what well, gaming news and stuff like that right now about how difficult the industry is on developers. It's, it's, it's pretty tough because video games are not like movies but they're treated like the development cycles treated like films uh they take a lot of time and effort to work you know a movie when you put it together you can look at it and be like all right it looks good we can put it out video game you have to keep playing it and playing and playing it to see if there's anything wrong if anything is broken but they don't give them enough time so what ends up happening is that people are sleeping in the studio they're working long long hours for not what they should be making in terms of pay you know we're talking like some software developers making like 60 to 70 grand a year um for working weekends all throughout the week just to make for this one game and you got to get out by christmas or the shareholders are going to be very very upset so it's very very competitive very very difficult uh field and there's been a lot of um i guess like social protests going on about like and unionizing and stuff like that within within industry it's been really tough lately yeah i remember you know the scary thing i i think one of my kids started to get into like telltale games and Hmm. we bought a couple of them. And then I remember the story where a bunch of people had just like moved to, uh, was it, is it Northern California? I think, or I think that's where all the companies are. And telltale just went out of business one day. Like, yeah, just, there was no warning. You know, it looked like they had, they had a couple titles that they had locked up too. They had like, I'm trying to think of the two or three titles which are almost guaranteed money makers. Like we had, we bought a Batman title. Um, trying to yeah. think of some of the other ones, and it they just had a lot sewn up. up. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 this is the thing when it comes to video games that is is really like different in the sense. Like I can I keep comparing it to movies, but that's really the only other thing I can compare it to. Um, because it used to be that movies were like the highest production art form in terms of cost. Now it's video games. And the thing is that the overhead is so high. It doesn't matter if your game is all over the place. If you don't make enough to keep the the lights on, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. And what was happening with Telltale was primarily their overhead was just too high. Um, And the production and everything like that, it was just too much at the end of the day for it to be as a sustainable model. Um, And that's why like a lot of the newer games, they play it really, really safe. Um, but it's unfortunately Telltale is just like one of several stories that it's like that. 
Um, they had this recent, most recent example was um, Mass Effect Andromeda, which was like Mass Effect's really popular series. That game was riddled with bugs when it came out. It was terrible. And the development for it was a nightmare. We found out afterwards interviewing with staff and everything like that. They had like a room just to cry in every now and then oh, because they were, they were stuck in the office the oh, whole time. God. And they were harassed that they had to get it done on time. And so they, what did they do? They rushed out the door and it's broken. You know, it's not, it's not done yet. So, but they don't, you know, they just like, they shove it out. And that's also kind of like, because of the internet these days, like when you bought a game back in the day on like a console or something, that was it. That CD, that was the game. You couldn't have an update on that game. There was no downloading any patch or anything. That's it. That's the final version of that game. There's no other version of that game. These days they're like, oh, put it out half baked and we'll just send out a thing later on that it'll fix everything. Like that's that's kind of like the motto. So these days you don't get games the day it comes out anymore. You wait a few weeks later until they put all the fixes in there afterwards. I, I, I tell that to my boys all the time. It's same thing with a phone. Oh, the iPhone 4's out. Well, yeah, wait yeah. till the iPhone 4.5 and then I'll jump on board. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, the PS5 is coming out. It's like, you know what? Uh, let me look at my watch. Yep, we can pay two, three hundred extra bucks now and have for Christmas or we'll get it in June when all the bugs are worked out. The only time I remember in recent history somebody saying, we have this AAA game. It's going to be a huge seller. Uh, it, it, it's the last in the trilogy, the Batman one. You know what? It's not ready. We're going to miss the Christmas release. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they were pushing it back. But they just couldn't get this one thing right with the car. And they pushed it back two, three months and then another three or four months. I don't think it was a year late, but they didn't want to either offend the fan base. And it's funny because you might know the company that did it. Uh, there was three in that trilogy, that Arkham trilogy, and then there was a fourth one that they passed on doing that came out between two and three in that series. It was kind of like a flashback kind of one to, to Batman's origin. That's what it was called, Batman origin. And the company that was doing the other two and working on number three said, no, we just want to focus on this. We don't want to get sidetracked. And even putting their focus into it, it still needed an extra six months to be right. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's kind of like the thing a lot of the time is that, you know, development takes a really, really long time. And it, it really depends, like, you know, you never really know. I mean, the most recent debacle was the Cyberpunk 2077 that just came out. It's it's a broken mess. And they delayed it twice. Um, and when the people, it's it's gotten to the point where when we hear about delays, at least in like the gaming world, we're actually kind of happy most of the time. Because we're like, oh, thank God, they're not going to put out a broken, like, mess of a game. They're going to take the time to make it good. Um, but it still came out broken because they get they get pushed, they get pushed. And it kind of depends on what kind of, what company it's coming from. There's companies that are notorious for doing this. Um, and then there's ones that, like, where you know it's pretty much always going to be good at coming out the door. Uh, these days, pretty much just Nintendo, really. Uh the Japanese like sense of development is is far different than the Western ideology in terms of like how things go. Their mentality is more so like if you put out a bad game and it's bad one time, it's bad forever. There's no going back. Like you have to have it right the first time, and that's it. You know, they they still have that sense. So I think it's it's better on that end. Like they announced that they were going to delay a game a year. I'm like, fine, I'll I can wait a year. It's, it means it's not ready. It's not ready. But you I agree, guess, Biff. Uh, <laughs> you agree, well, Biff. <laughs> 
you know, I don't want to get into sidetrack into the you know into that, but I do want to ask about I do want to ask about the point Jock made a little bit in 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 terms of uh, the specific game that you point out. I think is a pretty interesting conversion of worlds because um, I, I I feel like there is a, a difference in, in how you have to handle the uh, the comic book audience versus like you know a bad GTA versus a bad you know oh, you know Grand Theft Auto versus a bad yeah, uh, you know, Batman. You're dealing with the Batman comic world, and and I've I've seen f- uh, firsthand what happens when you joke around in the comic world because I said something really silly about um was it oh it was a Hawkeye or something like that right I said something I demeaned a Marvel character just oh, as a joke a big, on the talk. internet suicide and, no it was, gr- <laughs> it, it was it was great it was like like five six days later. Like people are still ragging on me for you know telling me the virtues of Hawkeye and <laughs> I, I ragged on Batman and saying that he's kind of like a he's kind of like Hawkeye with you know with better weapons right and yeah yeah and all this thing people telling him about, about his intelligence and stuff like that yeah I thought I thought I literally I I just looked at Biff because usually Biff's the one that looks at me and's like what. Why would you do something that dumb? And I'm looking at Biff. I'm like, dude, you're gonna get doxxed. You might have to move now. No, that would have been awesome. That would have been awesome if we went, went bananas no, the... over, the, over me ragging on Batman. But 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 uh, kind of I digress. But I but I do want to want you to kind of is, is there a certain sensitivity to that in terms of I mean, to what degree do you have to pay attention to the audience? You know, as mm-hmm. a devil, you know, obviously you pointed some of that out as in terms of kids versus adults. Yeah, but then yeah. What are some of the other finer points? Like, well, it's so when it comes to reoccurring series, or for example, let's take like Batman as a great example. Um, I don't. If I was making a Batman game, first off, a lot of the advertising is done for me because I don't need to like. I'm not trying to get introduce them to a new character. People are going to buy this because Batman's on it, and they'll. It could be named Batman, whatever. It's Batman. They're going to buy it, right? So that you have that right there. So you have like your Batman. Yeah, you have your Batman audience. So it's like, okay, we have we have these people. We have to, we can please them and try to introduce those things. Um, you know, you can try to keep them happy. Then you have things where it's like if it's a sequel to an established gaming series, then you have to deal with like whatever came before it. Um, either doing it better or making sure you don't diverge too far off. Because sometimes what people do some companies have done they do like a spin-off series or something like that and people are like well this isn't the game that i was expecting it to be you know they're really upset by that but it's like well it wasn't supposed to be but because you put the same ip on there it offended them so you do have to be really careful with that um you know there's countless times where that's pretty much come up uh it, it is something you have to be careful with and i mean sequels in general are, are just very difficult in the gaming world itself because you have to outdo yourself and that's really hard to do can we talk a little bit about can you help me i'm i'm reaching out i'm asking for help here help me understand the roblox world it's my my littlest guy mm. that's he he toggles back and forth there was a 6 month window where every time i went into cvs or uh, ran into market basket he's like can you get me a Roblox card? You know, because uh, we, we've had issues yeah, with my yeah. card being um, o- online, which they could buy stuff without me knowing. So, you know, we've changed it where they could get those cards. How does Roblox work? Is that one company? Because sometimes I'll walk in and it's like he's doing this thing called, oh, what was his jam? Tower of Hell. And, you know, he started a little YouTube channel for himself and within like days had like a couple hundred people watching him play this 
you know, Tower of Hell game that when you were talking about these games that have these beautiful landscapes and the depths of field, mm-hmm. and then I'm looking at this, and I'm like, this kind of almost looks like, excuse me if it just sounds stupid, but like a 16-bit game, like almost yeah, yeah. Know, blockish and stuff like that. And I know Minecraft is a blockish game, like a 16-bit game um, that that people just get lost in. Is Roblox a game, or is it just... Any like you said earlier, is it like YouTube where it can be anything you want? So, as a as like as a company and what what it is, so it is a plat is a development platform. So there, it's kind of unique, and I kind of think that this is where most of the industry is going to end up going at some point because they're they were a little bit ahead of their time, like Roblox as like a as a platform. So what's going on here is you have a website where anyone can create a game on their engine and like on on their on their hard on their like software and stuff like that and they will host it for free they will display it for free just like youtube you make a video you can put it up everyone can see it anyone can go to it it's free free hosting all that type of stuff and what this then means is that you can then you can then share it with other people. So what you have is like a collaborative development environment. So if I make something, like if I make like an asset or a code something on Roblox, I can share it with any other Roblox developer and it will work when they put it in their game. So this means that, you know, most other games, like you code it, this will only work for your game. You can't just plop software or anywhere you want and it's expected to work. It's not going to do it. In this case, it can. So you have like a large development community and you have free hosting. So what this means also is that when I put up a game, I don't have to worry about like, oh my gosh, how many people own the PS5? I can only expect to sell this many of this game if there's only this many market share. It's free hosted. I know I'm guaranteed a player base because it's on the website with millions of players, such as your son and other people as well. Uh, in terms of the art style, it, it's probably just because there's like default assets that the site gives out. And most people make games with that. So there's kind of like an aesthetic that the site has leaned towards. But you could do anything really on there that you wanted. It would just require more professional uh, developers working on that. So it kind of depends. And the site kind of leans different ways based on like whoever's really popular at the time. Some people will mimic that game or, or what have you. Similar to YouTube, you know, they, they copy different YouTubers based on whatever's popular, whatever's going around. So when I go and buy a Roblox card, spend 25 for 50 bucks who gets that money oh so primarily the website gets the money but what ends up happening is that it it gets converted to typically when when you get those cards what they're doing is they're buying a virtual currency that they can spend on the site so it gets funneled in a way so what happens is that that money then gets sent gets put on their account that they can spend in our games and the, the money that they do that then it gets funneled down to us so it's kind of like a, a cycle. And they do this just so that they can balance out their own currency to manage their profit margins and stuff like that. And on top of that, we get AdSense. So you start playing the game, the loading screen, there's a little ad that plays. It's over like in a few seconds, and then we get AdSense from that. So it's it's both of those on top of each other. And then you have like a, based on the amount of currency we got in, we could do like payouts every month of however much we got. So you you develop a new game for for the platform. And mm-hmm. unlike a movie, whether it's a small indie movie or, you know, the, the next big Marvel movie or something like that, you know, there, there's advertising and marketing. How yeah. does somebody know 
that you know, hey, Besh has this new game out. Is there a is there a, like a PR or marketing wing that you can you know bring on board or that the company brings on board? Like when the the boot up screen, you know, how often does somebody watch? You know what Netflix yeah. what Netflix says? Oh, watch this! It's like the first thing yeah. that you come on, and they're promoting this or they're promoting that. How do you develop a new game? on the platform get eyeballs so there's several tools that they give us as developers and that they've sort of set up on the website itself so uh that is a very i'm glad you brought up the netflix thing because it's very relevant um the front page as it would be called of when you click there's this there's a little button on the site that says games you click it you get a big list of games you want your game on that page on the very front um there's you can run ads on the site to go, to link to your game you can make sure put, you can pay to have your game sponsored on that slot on the front slot for a while. And there's different categories. Like these are the top rated games. These are the top earning games. You know, these are what's being played the most. This is what has the most people in it right now. Th those are kind of like on the front page. So you do whatever you can to get in that spot. And typically we'll spend money to try to get into those spots with a, with a new game. We'll do several ad campaigns and there are, people who do specifically that you can hire specifically for advertising on that platform, or you could manage it yourself. Um, and th this includes developing ads, um, what's the best time to put them up? You know, what, what, like, if I put it up at this time, I get this many people from this time zone. When are people the most online? Is a holiday coming up? Are the kids on vacation right now? You know, like all these things we have to take them into, into account. When you say we have to take them into account, if you're working for yourself or you're part of a team, like who who is the we? Mm. And, and then the other question that I was just thinking, well, first, uh, answer that one first. It's like when you say, like, you know, we take this into account, how do you put a team together to handle that? Oh, and And do you guys ever try to reach out and like oh how can we get you know mr beast to play our game or how can we get oh yeah one of yeah. these people I, I mean how yeah is that is that part of the marketing to get one of these big influences absolutely definitely so when i say we i'm speaking like as like a developer of the site for, for one thing and then also i have a small team that i work with that like i put together of other developers some are friends and then some are just people that we've hired along the way to do different different like you know departments of things um in terms of the youtuber aspect 100 percent that's part of it so what we'll do often is that we'll put like a promotion key or something like that to give like bonus items or something in the game and we'll just like we'll just give it to the youtuber like as a as a gift you know and he'll be like okay well i got this and it's good for content so i might as well play it and use it or we'll we'll give him a thing like hey you can give out like 10 of these prizes in the game to some of your viewers or something like that. And that'll get him to play. But getting them to play is very, very good. That's like one of the, that's even better than being on the front page in a lot of ways um, when it comes to that. I mean, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same because I had a video show in the early 90s, a music video show, and I used to get inundated with, you know, a new video comes out for this band, the Flaming Lips, and I would get 20 copies of the CD and just 20 T-shirts yeah. sent to me, and oh, they're coming, and just so I would play it. But how do you reach the bigger guys? Is there ad agencies, or do you just put it up there and hope they download it? Or how does that structure work? Because I know in different fields, you know, you have sales reps. Like, 
you bought, you know, you invent this new widget, and it's the best widget ever, and your engineers came up with a widget nobody ever thought could be invented, you still need a sales force to go out and let people know that this new widget is there. How do you guys approach that? Well, for us, we there's one group of people who basically this is all they do on the website is they they have the contacts they have the, you know they have they know all the people the right people, that's one way of doing it. Um, the other way is like you just have to find whatever avenues you can. You know what is their business email like all these types of things like where can we where can we get in touch with this guy if we have to. Um, the other thing too is that sometimes you just get lightning in a bottle and they play it just because your game is there, um, and that. That has happened, and that that that's that's really good, um, in most cases. So, it, it kind of depends. Um, but when it comes to the advertising, it, a lot of it is for for at least for me and my team is we have we do it ourselves. Like we we've done it before. We've we've been in it before, and the community as a whole, the developer community on the platform is very not. I want to say too close. Some of, but. Um, Everyone shares everything. We all we we talk and stuff like that. And um, every year there is a developers conference that people go to. Obviously not this last year, but um, that we go to when we meet up and we we talk and stuff like that. And this kind of like a almost a friendly rivalry about it because every time they're playing your game, you're not playing my game. But like you know that that sort of sense is there. But um, it, there's some camaraderie between for sure, and that kind of helps us get those things that we need. And are, and are video games a fad that are just going to be going away anytime soon? Or, or, do you, or, or do you think? Or do you think you know this is? Are you this is going to be around for a while? Are, are these talking pictures going to stick, or are people going to want to go back to silent? I, I think they're here to stay. I think it's here to stay. I think it's probably going to be a lot different in maybe thirty years or something like that. Um, I mean, I think that's a great point, right? Because yeah, uh, um, I mean, just as in the movies, right? There's there's um, we've always so i go back far enough so that i played video games you know exclusively on keyboards because mm -hmm. you know, and then eventually they came up with this concept called the joystick that plugs into your computer which was just mind-blowing but of course now we have the console with the controllers and then we have the second it almost seems like a separate animal of touch screens right but can, yeah. you know in terms of that i mean can you talk a little bit in terms of whether it's vr or whatever you know, where the video game might, you know, where Absolutely. you're maybe even, you know, even targeting, I guess. I was actually just talking to someone about this the other day uh, yeah. on, the, on my dev team about VR. Um, I don't think VR is going absolutely anywhere. And I don't mm -hmm. think that it's going to be the future by any means because yeah. we've had so the problems. There's a lot of problems with VR because I could develop a game for VR if I wanted, but I'm probably not going to do it because one, the market share is extremely small. Um, and there's a lot of things like for just getting into VR. One, you need a computer that can run it, one that's strong enough to run it if you don't already have a console. So we're talking like, let's say $500 at bare minimum. Then you have to get the actual VR set, which is like another $200, $300, maybe even more. And so we're, we're, we're getting pretty high in price here. So very, very few people. And then on top of that, there hasn't really been, like VR has been here for almost 10 years. And there hasn't really been any big VR games still. And, you know, every time I see it, it's like, oh, they put Skyrim or Fallout on the VR. It's like, yeah, but where's the VR game? Where's the game that I can only play on VR? Yeah. You know, the one that you need to have VR if you want to play this game. It doesn't exist. No, it's, And it's, I, I don't think it will. It's funny you yeah. say that because we, we just 
for Christmas, the boys got new switches, but um, the mm. oldest one traded his switch in for an Oculus. It just came today. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, like he just, you know, uh, is on the PS4 and he's like, yeah, I'll set up tomorrow. He's excited to play it. But it's it's interesting. I want to ask you, like, where you see games in five years. It's funny how big gaming is that, you know, you know, my buddy and I, who I started this podcast with, he's a huge gamer, has all the latest everything. But how often I'll be talking to him and he's playing, you know, a, a, a PS2 game or yeah. you know, my wife yeah. just just the other day for the first time ever, you know, the little guy brought his switch upstairs and plugged it into the big TV. And she sat down and was playing Mario, you know, so there's all these great new games and, and, and exciting things. But yet people go back to either their comfort zone or, yeah. I, you know, I just want a simple game. I just want to do a, or a puzzle game or I don't want. So wh where do you think games are going to be in like the next like five or ten years? And how long do you see yourself doing this? Do you think you're ever going to be like, yeah, developing games is great, but I want to move on to X, Y, and C. Or do you see this? Yeah, this is what I'm going to be doing till I do the dirt nap. Um, I'm definitely leaning more towards the latter on that last one. It seems right now, but you know who knows? Who knows? You know, people change. But uh, in terms of like, I think that returning one, it is definitely returning to your comfort zone. The other thing is that like, um, your buddy and I are probably a lot alike in the sense that like, like I have a lot of games that I just collect. And I, most of the games I want to play are old games um, that I didn't get to play, or maybe I didn't have that console as a kid. I want to go play that. And I have nostalgia for it. Obviously, that's probably a factor. But it, it's also just, um, it, it is in the sense that like this, like holding the controller and playing, one, it's just easy. It's an easier way to play a game. Getting up and standing up with the VR controller and stuff like that, this is like, it's more work almost to have any, it's more like an experience. It's the difference between like, Someone described it very well. It's the difference between staying home and watching someone on a roller coaster and then going on it yourself. <laughs> you know, not every day do I feel like going on a roller coaster. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's 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 sort of similar in that sense. I think that if we're ever going to have like any type of VR experience, it's going to be way down the line in the future to the point where it's like brain machine interface or something like that. This is the only time this is going to really people are going to want to sit their ass down. And they're going to play with their head. They don't want to get up and move, I don't think. I, was, I don't think it's going to happen like that. I was that. in L.A. last summer, and a couple malls had these VR shops where you were walking yeah. in. And they, were, they weren't they were rigs you could get for your house. And they were really immersive, and they were pretty well, It wasn't amazing. last summer. It was the previous summer. Yeah, it wasn't last summer. It was the previous summer. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so so, so I, want to, I want to, you know, get a couple more things in here before we let you go. When you see movies like Ready Player One or, or, yeah. or movies where, you know, people like you who, you know, make these games and develop these games, do you think you, you've seen accurate portrayals of programmers or do you think there's just this stereotypical, you know, uh, way that, that people in your profession are portrayed and do you think it's fair or do you think it's unfair? Um, there's definitely a lot of stereotypes and – in terms of portrayal and like for like as in terms of like ready player one it was very kitschy and i think that was possibly intentional um and also kind of like uh like this was clearly made by an adult who doesn't know anything about this kind of thing 
that that kind of that kind of comes through a little bit that's which, shocking to hear that yeah it's like hollywood doing that oh my god of. that is shocking <laughs> but i don't think like in terms of like the stereotype i think that a lot of times it's like i mean there's still some people out there who think that people who play video games are like you know 30 year old virgin living in mom's basement type yeah. type mentality it's like which is everyone plays games like these days i like i don't care if you're playing like candy crush on your phone you're playing a video game um, you know, every I would say probably everybody would enjoy enjoys video games at the end of the day if they if they play them like at any point. So I think that the portrayal is very wrong. The other thing is that like you know it's always considered also that it's always men who are programmers and video, just not the case at all. There's tons of there's tons of women in the development and in game development and stuff like that. Um, absolutely. So I, I think that that's kind of like also the sense too. No, it's funny because I I know how awful women can be you know treated in the gaming world and in the in the oh, male yeah. toxicity and it's funny because we've done a podcast before and, and again you know you know my partner joe he's forgotten more about this than i ever know and, and it all broke down to the early 80s or late 70s when games started to come and the mm-hmm. toy department the, you know the people at you know kb toys or toys r us it's yeah. like there wasn't a video section so well, it's just a boys' game or a girls' game, and they put the video sections in the boys' game, and and you know even to it's today, stuck. right? Even to today, yeah. it's like oh, girls have to wear pants. It's like what? Um, so my 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 big thing to you, it's funny because you talked about a conference because video game programmers mm. are pigeonholed into like you're all a bunch of Sheldons who can't have a conversation with other people. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, and that's not the truth. Um, well, you know, there's some truth to it in the sense that do these people exist? Absolutely, they exist. But like, is it the I don't think it's the vast majority of people. I mean, you go to you go to the conference and you, it's just these people. There's no one else there. It's just these people. So, um, you know, there are people I would say who are kind of like almost like me, where they're in it so deep that this is all they're doing all the time, and that's going to hurt you socially a little bit. <laughs> but um, most of the people, I would say, most of the people are are very sociable and like pretty, not what you would expect. Um, all walks of life type deal, really. So, in in my line of work, and I don't know how. Actually, I don't know how Biff, you know, line of work. I have absolutely zero marketable skills, and I never have. Um, as you could see from the twenty minutes of trying to get the same equipment going <laughs> that that we've been using forever, and I still don't use it. But my career has been 95 percent just networking uh, that's mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a really good networker in your field how does somebody who is a graphic artist who isn't a programmer but is great at this or or the music side of it because i know yeah. I, I because i come from the music world i know so many people who do music for movies and commercials and i know some people who are just these jaw-dropping musicians who can hear something once and play it back note for note who just live for video game music and a lot of people because because if you ask me you know bash right now like how do i take a nba team to a military tour on the other side of the world i can hook you up how does a movie go from somebody's head to the screen i can tell you you know a thousand different ways but this is the most common way but how do people get into your field how does a composer find his way from you know his, his rig and his keyboard and writing hundreds of hours of music over the years to actually getting his music into games right so these days um you know because of the internet 
just put yourself out there. You know, make, make your stuff and put it somewhere. Someone is going to see it. Um, in terms of where I'm doing my stuff on the platform or if you're doing, like, post it on there. Share it with people. Um, that is how I find people that I work with. Is like, I see it. I'm like, man, this person's stuff is amazing. Like, we have to get them. You know, that's kind of how it goes a lot of the time. You know, if you post your stuff out there and you let people see it, they'll they'll take notice if it's good. You know, you have to, but that's very, very important. And it's it's funny because even like in, in AAA industry, as an artist, if you don't have like a Twitter going or like Instagram of your art, you're not you're not gonna get a job. You have to do these things, you have to put your stuff up. Um, you know, in terms of like music, especially too, very much so. Um, music is a little bit harder to put out there because you know, art, I could just look at it. Music, I have to sit, click on it and take some time to listen to it um, and to really appreciate it. Um, so music, it tends to be like, you're really, if you're looking for a musician, you're like, you're really actively looking. Um, I do most of the music for my own stuff, thankfully, but, um, it, you know, finding you're like a really good musician, like composers is pretty tough a lot of the time. And, and just music. So it's interesting how everything is different because again, in my line of work, it doesn't matter. I, I have some, you know, and Biff knows a lot of these people and he's met a lot of them, some really well-known actors who never get their jobs for managers or agents. 95% of their jobs is they went to this party. They play hockey with this person. They never... Yeah. Well, the okay, but let's, let's, let's stay on the topic. I, I think, because I think you were hitting a good point, which is that there is a certain um, synergy to, like, you know, creative programming versus structured programming and music. Yeah. Right? Because... Music is a structured. I mean, playing instruments is structured. Creating creating music is not. So you know, is there? Do you have that synergy? And as you as a creator of both music and the games, uh, absolutely, yeah. And I'd say that it, it's kind of funny as someone who's done both, um, like as both a musician and like a programmer, they're more similar than a lot of people might think. And I, I say this to a lot of people who are kind of like new at programming. Programming will change the way you see everything everything kind of breaks down structurally and music is the same way if you start play, if you really get into music and like with music theory everything looks different to you after that everything a facet of life really and they, they do go very much hand in hand i think that the only reason i can even compose music is because i program so much honestly because i'm not nearly as good a composer as i am a programmer um but yeah I mean, they so, definitely go together so so it's interesting you you've seen this when people take like Jaws and make it, or, or, or The Shining, and, and recut it to make it look like a family-friendly movie. It is funny yeah. how much music can change, you know, something. Have you ever, and, and you know, programmed something, developed something, put your own music in, and then been too close to it where you've like, hey, I'm going to reach out and have something else and, and, and hear if somebody hears it differently? Because it's, it's funny, you know, I, with, with bands and stuff like that, it's a lot, you know, it's funny because I've been jamming with the same guy forever, and he'll have a song. I, I won't see him for several months that he's pretty much worked out, and sometimes he'll put, like, you know, drums to it, but then when I come over and play it, I hear it differently, and so many times he's like, it's such a better song because somebody else's ears were in it. Do you, is that part of the collaboration process where same thing with graphics, like somebody, you specialize in this, and you can do music and you can do the other aspects of it, but somebody who that's what they specialize in, does it help? Do you see it as like, oh, this could help elevate yeah. everything? Absolutely. Especially because games encompass so many art forms. 
Um, I kind of do like a little bit of, I've ended up like learning a little bit of everything, but I'm primarily a programmer and designer. Um, so I kind of like, I have to know all these things to have like a development team. I have to understand how they do their job and how someone else does their job. Otherwise I can't put it all together effectively. So we all kind of have a fair understanding of each other's stuff. Um, and a lot of the times that I do art, which I'm not primarily an artist, but like I do do some of the art, I have to share it with a real, like a real artist because to get their sense of like, and they'll be like, oh, like, does this look good or am I full of crap? Like is, you know, is it actually terrible? And being honest with each other is very, very important because like, you don't want to waste anybody's time. You want to know whether it's bad or good. Um, so that, that kind of like code can't really lie to you in a lot of ways. Like it's like it either works or it doesn't, you know, whereas art, it could work for someone. It might not work for somebody else. So it, it kind of can go either way. So it really depends. But there's there, I do believe that there is some objectivity when it comes to music. I think that there are things that are objectively good in music. I know so a lot of people say music is pretty relative. And in some ways it is. But there is objective music, in my opinion. And the same for art and everything else. There's things that are just objectively appealing to people. Um, That's at, the magic of the jingles, right? Art ad jingles, there's a certain yeah, thing, yeah. Right? Like sometimes it, they catch it, right? It, it's funny yeah, because like ad jingles is like it's so smart and they're so like commercialized, but like they're kind of genius, aren't they? Right. Because yeah, like absolutely. it's like they, they must be good, right? Because everyone remembers them, so they must be good yeah. in some way, right? Well, so well, it's funny because you were way too young to get. Bash, have you ever heard of the guy Barry Manilow? Yeah, he, yeah. He was he was so famous in like the late seventies and eighties, but to this day. The most money he's ever made. I mean, he's had probably 10 top 10 hits, probably maybe 10 even number one hits. But he did, and help me out, Biff, if you if you know. Uh, Dr. Pepper, right? He did. He, I think he did Dr. Pepper. I know he yeah. did. I'm stuck on Band-Aid and Band-Aid. Band-Aid, yeah. yeah. Um, you and deserve then. a break today. Yeah. And like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, all of those. Yeah, <laughs> like, crazy. honestly, he, he, his, his biggest things were like you know five second jingles um yeah. no so so it is so i'm gonna let you know if biff has any tech questions i'll let him ask those last but uh bash while i have you what are your three favorite movies that particularly you know profile like programmers and what are you give me like your three four favorite all-time games like you know if you were on a desert island and you could only mm. bring four games or five games or well, three games. What are you bringing? Can I, can I extrapolate on that a little bit? Please, I, I please. do want to hear your th- top three or four games, but I also want to hear your Mount Rushmore of the greatest games also, because I think those oh. are two different questions, right? Yeah, they are, because yeah. what, I, what I like is my favorites is definitely not the best games or, um, necessarily. Well, I mean, even but, not even best, but greatest is a different yeah, kind of yeah. a thing also, right? So, yeah. It, it, it so kinda, that's, yeah, that's a hard one. I, in terms of, like, like favorite movies... Like when you say like profiling programmers, like what do you mean exactly? Like, yeah, I think to... anything that in, so like here's a here's an example, and maybe not this is this is a crappy one, but there was one of the diehards where there were these programmers who, who were technically oh, yeah. hackers, right? That yeah. kind of broke into various systems to get you know to different the one with Josh Duhamel was he the, no the, the other guy I can't remember the guy's name, um, but you know he, so there's stuff like that. So well, that yeah games, yeah. Do you want to play a game? I was about to say war games probably would probably be my favorite. I mean, here's the thing though, it's kind of funny because pop culture and stuff and you know, people hear programmer and they think that you're some like super genius or something like that. It's why it's like why it's because in movies and TV they make us look like we're really, really smart. Yeah. It's like 
you don't need to be smart to be a programmer. <laughs> <There's> a lot, <laughs> it, it helps, it helps, but like, you know, people who are really good are smart, but people who are really good at anything are pretty smart anyway. So it's like, it's not really a programmer thing. Um, favorite movies just in general. Uh, I think Gattaca is probably my favorite movie. Um, and then video games, uh, Zelda Link to the Past. It's probably my favorite video game. Uh, and best like Mount Rushmore of games. I, I don't know. Like it's kind of hard to define because it's like, <clears throat> like what games are important kind of thing, right? Like yeah, some games I, are important. I, yeah, so some I other ones are not. Yeah. Great, yeah. And I, I don't think that I'm not looking for the right answer as much as to, you know, to get a sense, right? Because you, so if you were to ask, so like I'm a novice, I'm not, I'm not a major, you know, game guy, mm -hmm. but like the ones that come to mind are really, like Mario is going to be one. Yeah. Doom is going to be one. To me, Resident Evil is going to be one. And the other one is going to be Grand Theft Auto. And, and it's kind of a my arbitrary yeah. assembly of, you know, combination of popularity and influence and stuff right. like well, that. There's, but, there's no wrong answers except right. Biff's answer was wrong because he didn't have Gallagher in there. So, so, <laughs> so, so, all yeah, the name, uh, so, so, Mount Rushmore. You got, but you can only pick three because Gallagher's number one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So what are you? I would definitely, Josh? I would definitely put Mario on there just because it it changed a lot. Yeah. It was it would change a lot of things. Um, oh. It made it so like you know back before Mario games were arcades, and then when they came to the home the, in, into your home, they kept designing them like they, you were at the arcade. And Mario decided that that was no longer going to be the case. So that really was was really important. Um, Man, I do agree with Galaga though. I do like Galaga. <laughs> uh, um, man, it, that's that's a hard one. I I really have to think about this because even there's some stuff that I would consider like recently that could even be on there at this point because yeah. things have evolved so far, like they really have. Um, I, I would say definitely like things like um like Oblivion. Um part of the Elder Scrolls series. Yeah. I think that there wouldn't be a lot, or I guess even Morrowind, which came before it, but there wouldn't be a lot of the open, that was kind of like more of the early open world games. Like we really didn't have that as like a thing prior. And I don't think things like Grand Theft Auto and stuff would really have existed otherwise um, if it wasn't for that. So there, there's been a lot, but even before that we had, I mean, even like text, text adventures were technically open worlds, but like they're not really <laughs> in the sense, same sense. But yeah, that's that's a hard one. But definitely, Link to the Past is my favorite game. Mm -hmm. um, I really like Cave Story as well. That's a really fun game too. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Oh, oh new uh, Fallout New Vegas, absolutely best Fallout game, in my opinion. Do you? How many games do you think you've programmed? How many games are quote unquote yours? Oh, um, let me think. Mine is in like only I worked on them, or like that I would consider part, my vision or something. Right, that you were part of the team that you take ownership in, or that you came up mm. with that you helped, like do you, stuff that you'd put on your resume. Yes, thank you. Right, right, okay, okay. Uh, probably six to eight by now. And, yeah. And can you met you do you, do you want to talk about them or or which do you, do you have a favorite? You know. Uh, I usually hate most things that I make. <laughs> <laughs> most of the time uh it, it they usually ends that up, doesn't sound like anybody i we know that they hate the you know stuff that they're creating it, it, it kind of depends i mean so it, it, it's so the one thing was like one thing i had that was like really popular that i did really well was something i put like no work into and that really frustrated me 
because it was I was like, you like this of all the things that yeah. I made, you like this, and like I'm like oh, and I, I really really like got to me for a while, and I was like, and but, like but people that happens I was working with positions, right? I mean, yeah, right? People I was working with are like, you should be happy. It's generally good. I was like, I don't want this to be the thing that does good. That does good well, though. B- b- Biff will Biff will tell you because we're both big music guys. How many bands that we love. <laughs> Who hate their biggest song, and and it's like it's it's not so much hate as much as like when it's really about the effort, right? Like there are there are there are songs that they put in. They said, well, you know, you need another song to put in to give us a full album, and they said, okay, well, so we'll throw this thing in, and suddenly that's the monster hit, right? Like the ones that I can think of, the band Blur with song number two. that's been used in every movie for the past one that they don't have any other song that sounds anything like that they are that's a fourth gear song and they're they're always in second gear they were just doing that joking around in the studio and it becomes the biggest hit ever same thing the clash were on their way to a studio and they had a deadline and they had like a day or 48 hours and like should i stay or should i go was this song, you know, where London Calling, they labored over it. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack, but no, but it's so, so, Besh, uh, if you want to, we will, we will post to all your socials if, if you want people to be able to, you know, hear more or see more of your stuff. Um, Biff, do you have any like last parting, you know, no, questions? No, I should... think, no, this, this was great. This was fascinating. It was great speaking to you. And I, you know, yeah, I you learned could. a lot. So, absolutely. Thank you very uh, much. In terms of socials, uh, we're in the process of putting together a new studio and stuff. So we we don't have them yet, but we'll have some pretty new ones soon. Pretty maybe I'll get back to you on that. Put it on the thing. I but, I, I can't yeah, apologize awesome. enough for taking so long to get up and running today. No, it's <laughs> all right. It happens. And, and honestly, I I hope we haven't bored you enough where you don't want to come back on because this has been oh no, it's, it's been a blast. It's been an absolute blast. I would totally come back on, of course. Uh, well, with that said, uh, Biff, any, any last final thoughts before nope. I hit the uh, stop nope. button? Yeah, we're great. Thank you so much, Bash. You too, guys. Thank you so much. But it's Take really care. important. Now, remember, please don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>